Yo, what's going on, folks? Here we are with another version of the Boxing Source Radio Show. I am your host, James Bell, and uh, this show is being brought to you by MRM Broadcasting, which is the Mathis Freeman Network, and that is basically brought to you by Plaza Mathis and Matthew Long that started up the Mathis Freeman Network. Um, Remember, this show is here on Sundays, every Sunday at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Time, and we have our sister shows, The Cold Heart Truth on Sports, every Tuesday night at uh, 8.30 p.m. Um, here on Blog Talk Radio, and also Wednesdays at 8.30 is the CAC Firestorm Football Talk Show with uh, Claus L. Mathis, uh, Cali Mike, Chi-Town, and uh, the Mouth of the South. Tony Watt. Um, right now we all we're having a live caller here. Eight four three three four four. Tell us your name and where you're calling from. Eight four three. You're live on the air. Hello. Oh, I was just listening, bro. I was just listening. Okay, right. Yeah, we just uh, starting up here, so um, I'll uh, put you on uh, hold here for a little bit or whatever it is, and. Um, and then uh, whenever you want to get back, just uh, I'll just uh, check out back with you. Uh, we're just starting off here with the uh, Cold Heart Truth on Sports. We're basically, you know, going over the weekend in the sport of boxing, uh, you know, what's happening over the course of a week's time, and uh, also, you know, discuss a few topics here and there. Um, so pretty much uh, what we're going to do is uh, we're going to start off here with um, the uh, – broadcast that they had on yesterday on NBC. Uh, they had the Premier Boxing Champions uh, there. Uh, the main event there was Andre Durrell and James DeGale up in the Boston area uh, for the one of the super middleweight championships that they had out there. And um, it was a pretty good fight that they had there um, between Durrell and DeGale. Um, it seemed like at first that you know, Andre Durrell was kind of like, you know, working his boxing skills on the gill. And, you know, he was basically able to, you know, do what he wanted there in the ring for the first one and a half rounds. And he actually opened the cut on uh, James Gill's eye. But then, uh, you know, in the middle of the second round, uh, he got hit uh, with a good left hook by James Gill, which pretty much knocked him down. Uh, and it was a good shot. Knocked him down. Yeah, he was able to get up for an eight count. And then the gear was able to, you know, blitz him again uh, later on in the second round and score another knockdown. So he got a 10-7 round out of that. And, you know, from that point on, Andre Durrell basically had to fight from behind and see if he could basically catch up. Um, he was uh, actually having some success out there, uh, especially in the middle to late rounds, especially from rounds eight. Through 10, um, he was basically able to catch up there. And 
you know, by round 11 in, in, in my book, uh, he basically tied the fight up going into the 11th round. And then um, what happened was is that he let James Gill basically outwork him in the 11th round and outwork him in the 12th round. And, in, you know, in two judges' scorecards and then basically my scorecard, uh, that was the main difference in the fight. Um, and that basically just made it be a 114 to 112 a win for James Gill for him to win a, you know, super middleweight belt right there. And he, he became the uh, first Britain uh, boxer to win gold in the Olympics and to win a, to win the championship there. Uh, it was a pretty good fight, um, you know, for both fighters, but I think Darrell could have took it if he, you know, basically, you know, applied himself a little bit more and wasn't open to those big shots in the second round. Um, let me see here. Um, eight four three. Were you able to catch that fight? Uh, no, man. I, I walked in on the internet, but I, I can't speak on it. So that's the thing. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, I was basically just going over at Darrell the Gill fight that was on uh, PBT on NBC yesterday. Uh, that was the main event. So, you know, basically reviewed that fight. Um. You know, I saw a couple of, you know, pros and cons for both fighters. I think both fighters were kind of like open to a lot of shots. Um, Gail was just trying to see if he could load up on on Darrell and see if he could land that one big shot, you know. And um, he basically, if he would have taken his time and then just set himself, you know, set up Darrell for the shot like he did, you know, to score that first knockdown, then he probably would have scored another knockdown later on in the fight. Uh, but I guess he kind of, like, ran, uh, so to speak, on those two knockdowns. He basically said that he basically was winning the fight off those two knockdowns himself. Uh, so I think that's how he pretty much acted on that. Um, but even with that, he was still able to pull it out and uh, win that actual fight there. Um just trying to see here. Uh, if there's anyone uh, listening on Blog Talk Radio, you can you uh, call in for the live show, 347-237-5539. And uh, if you can, uh, press one key to be on cue so that you'll be able to talk into the show. Um, let's see here. Now, since, since you're live on the line here, 843, is there, like, anything that you wanted to talk about real quick uh, before I, like, get into this uh, fight a little bit more and then go to the next topic in a few moments? Well, uh, what, what do you think about his upcoming uh, John Porter and uh, uh, Broner fight? Well, that Sean Porter Broner fight. Oh, right, wow, that one. Now that one kind of threw me off in its initial announcement um, because uh, I've been talking about it for the past couple of weeks on the show, and it, it seems like with um, the the knock is for Al Heyman fighters especially, you know, that last year before he, you know, jumped off with this whole PBC and all of that, is that mm -hmm. our Heyman fighters are basically protected. Like, they don't really, they don't have them challenge anybody. You know, anyone that he signs, he doesn't really challenge those fighters. Yeah. So, yeah. To see, right. so to see something like this is basically a shock, especially for someone like Adrian Broner, right? Because... Yeah. A lot of people were talking about Adrian Broner as being the next in line to Floyd Mayweather, you know. 
And now what I've been hearing over the past couple of days is that, you know, Al Heyman is not real happy with what Broner's been doing. Uh, you know, getting in trouble with police, you know, going in the clubs, acting all out, um, getting in the scuffles and fights, um, you know, in MGM Grand. Uh, I, I told people, you know, I told people close to me that that night of May, of May 2nd, he was right there at MGM. He got in a little tussle, scuffle, right? And on his way back, huh? I wasn't aware of that. Oh, you said you were saying what there? Uh, I wasn't aware that he had a, a scuffle at the MGM. Yeah, he did. Um, this is like late. Um, because, like, after the fight, you know, everybody's going out to the parties and this and that and going to, you know, parties at Flamingo or um, Hakusana MGM Grand or Planet Hollywood. I was over there around Planet Hollywood side or, you know, the Cosmopolitan. And then on my way back to, um, you know, Flamingo, yeah. I went through MGM Grand. And then and through that entrance, they had there was, like, a little scuffle going on. And I was looking at it, and then, like, he just got broke up. And then somebody was just walking off real mad and, you know, real furious. And, you know, really ain't supposed to be saying this, but it turned out to be Adrian Broner, right? Yeah. So Adrian Broner's there. He's staying at MGM Grand. Now, here's the issue. You're Adrian Broner. You're drunk. You just got in a little tussle. So now you got to get from where you're at to the elevators to the hotel room at MGM. Um, I don't know. Have you been around MGM Grand, the hotel? No. No, I've never been there. All right. Now, it's like, here's the situation. It's like going from, it's almost like walking a, a half a block, nearly, from one of the entrances to MGM Grand to the elevators where the hotel rooms are at. So now Adrian Broner has to get from that entrance to those elevators. And people know who Adrian Broner is, so it doesn't matter. Yeah, so it's like it doesn't matter if it's, you know, one twenty in the afternoon or 3.30 in the morning. People are still going to be like, hey, it's Adrian Broner. What's up? Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is, is that this is Adrian Broner that's mad, that just got into a little fight, and is, like, really, really angry and stuff like that. So the thing is, is, like, he's over there, like, people trying to approach him, and he ain't having no time for it. So what ended up happening is, is that, you know, he kind of, like, pushed some people off, you know, that tried to approach him and anything like that. And... Even if you were even in its vicinity, he would push you. Okay. And there was like, yeah, and there was like one instance where he like really pushed the dude, and this dude was like much bigger than him. So if his if his entourage wasn't around the board, if they didn't keep going or whatever, who knows what that you know that guy could have did? You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. but but that's but that's the type of things that you know, Adrian Broner is prone to doing. And when people are talking about he's supposed to be the next Floyd Mayweather, Floyd never never does that. And he has never done that, ever. Now, he is way too undisciplined to be anything like Floyd Mayweather. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And, 
and 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 that's the thing that and that's the thing that Al Heyman is basically saying like Adrian is really messing up right here and he can't afford to you know invest so much into somebody that is a risk that that could throw it all away just like that. So that's why he's putting up that's why he's putting up there against Sean Porter who you know up to a certain point you know before he fought Kell Brook was one of the best welterweights out there. So mm-hmm. now it's like, okay, is he going to be able to get past, you know, uh, Sean Porter? If he gets past Sean Porter, fine. But if he doesn't and he loses, then he, he might be, you know, pushed off into the back burner, you know, kicked to the curb or whatever it is. Because Al Heyman has a bunch of fighters out there in line that could, you know, take his place or, or you know, try to attempt to take his place, you know what I mean? I mean, this is like the 140, 147-pound division, which has like the Danny Garcia, um, you know, the Mont Peterson. Um, yeah, I'm not a fan of uh, you know, Garcia, but I, I know you're coming. Yeah, yeah, I'm not. I'm not really much of a fan of Garcia either. But but the way that they 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 kind of like treat Garcia is is almost like how they should be treating Adrian Broner. Like, Garcia, like, they've been, like, trying to put Garcia as the next something ever since September 2013. Because he fought... He didn't get it ever since September uh, 2013. Yeah, like, ever since he fought uh, Matisse in, in September, they've pretty much been, you know, trying to protect him. Me personally, yeah. I didn't even think he would beat Matisse then because Matisse, remember, went right through Lamont Peterson the fight before, right. and so it was. And it was like, here, here is Garcia going against this guy, and it was basically a battle, and Garcia was able to get through it. But you know, Garcia hasn't been the same ever since. No. No. No, he, he lost so, to Lamont. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah. I, I think, I think he pretty much lost to Lamont Peterson, or was a draw. But the problem with Lamont Peterson was, Lamont Peterson gave him those first three or four rounds because he yeah. didn't really do anything those first three rounds. And all Lamont Peterson had to do in that fight was basically smother him because Peterson came into the ring at. I think it was like 160 something. Remember the the um the agreed weight was like 143. Both of them were at 140. They had they had the titles at 140 pounds, but the contractual weight was 143. So once they got in the night before at 143, they could basically weigh anything they wanted. And Peterson ballooned up to like 162 or something like that the night of the fight. So all they had to do was basically smother Garcia because he was a much bigger dude and he would have been able to, you know, win that fight. But it didn't look like Peterson at first acted like he really wanted to win that fight. You know, so... That was the thing on that. So now, you know, with with those two, it's not, I'm not sure what's going to happen with them because um, with Peterson... He was supposed to, if he didn't win that fight, the title that he had was going to be stripped from him. And I'm not sure, you know, if they really stripped the title from 
uh, Peterson or not. You know, but check. I can check here real quick to see because, like, I ain't hearing any news that they did or not. You know, but um, that that was the thing that that was on that is that those titles were supposed to be on the line since both of them were pretty much the top two at 140, and they ended up fighting at a contractual weight of 143. So none of those titles were on the line. No, so that was just on, on, on that little thing right there, man. Uh, All right. As far as uh, Brian and uh, well, Brian, do you see him having a chance in this quarter? Yeah, I don't, I don't think he can go in there and. Uh... I'm, re- I'm I'm unsure about it. Um, some like my friends that I talk with about about this matchup say, you know, as long as you know, Broner, you know, boxes and uses like his back foot and is able to, you know, use his jab and pop in and out, you know, he will be able to win the fight. But he's not, to me, he's not that type of a fighter where he could basically do that and move. You know what I mean? It's a difference between like boxing, like boxing and sticking and moving. And the thing is, is that he's not a good, elusive fighter. He's not that elusive because okay. if he was even with his ability, if he was even as elusive as he should be, then he would have beat Marcos Maidana because he would have been able to avoid those punches from Marcos. Mm-hmm. But he's mm-hmm. not like that. One, and then he two... Slept on Madonna, man. Yeah, that was the other thing. He did sleep on Maidana also. But two is that I think that, you know, he's not he's not like Kell Brook. Kell Brook beat Sean Porter because Kell Brook is tall, lanky, has a jab, can use his reach, and can move away. So he was able to move away from Sean Porter, and Sean Porter didn't have a plan B for that. Mm-hmm. My thing is here with, with against Broner, I'm not sure if Sean Porter really needs a plan B because if he's able to catch Broner with a good shot, he'll have Broner in big trouble, especially with it being at 143 because the reason why, like, Broner was, like, class at 140 after his loss was because he really couldn't take – he can't take a welterweight's punch. No, he can't. So if he fought a true – if he fought a true welterweight – Broner would not be able to Broner would not be able to take those punches. So that was that was basically the main reason why this fight was put in at one forty three was because that's Broner's absolute maximum with his size and his frame that he could basically carry and actually do something because if he was like there at one forty seven or above one forty fighting a true welterweight he wouldn't be able to. He wouldn't be able to beat those type of guys. Like a Kell Brook, he wouldn't be able to beat a Tim Bradley. He wouldn't be able to beat a Keith Thurman. He wouldn't be able to beat at at, at one forty seven. He wouldn't be able to do that. I That's the thing Brown on him. Broner would have made a good fight one. Bradley and Broner. Yeah, I, I thought that would have been a good fight one. Yeah, that that would be a good, pretty good matchup. Uh, them two against each other. Um, actually, that's that's one of the things.
things that I, I, I was looking at, too, uh, from last week in reference to Tim Bradley. I was speaking a little bit about his upcoming fight um, against Jesse Vargas mm-hmm. uh, that is going to be at, you know, 147. Um, and I talked about that a little bit last week on as, uh, you know, why would, you know, Bob Aaron put Jesse Vargas against a, a, a rugged veteran like Tim Bradley at 147. Yeah, I think, I think Bradley's two for this dude, man. Yeah, he's two season for Jesse Vargas. So uh, I don't see yeah. why why they would try to, you know, put him up against Tim Bradley at 147, uh, especially when they have, uh, you know, guys that get fight at 140. They have, um, you know, providing the cost at 140. Uh, they could get Matisse at this time, you know, to go against him at 140. And, of course, they have, you know, the best – 140-pounder in their stable um, with Terrence Crawford. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he could fight. So, um, you know, he's able to he, – he had options there at 140 before going up to 147 to fight somebody um, because it's no point for, you know, Jesse Vargas to go against somebody that likes Timothy Bradley at 147 when – you know, he has options there at 140. But, I mean, that that's all up to Bob Arum because um, I guess Bob Arum has a little plan for, maybe has a little plan for Jesse Vargas, man. I don't know. Well, he don't have his cash cow no more, so he got to do something. Well, yeah, he has to do something, but I think I think he, he what hit, but I think what Arum's issue is and it seemed like there's been a pattern over the past few years. Well, not past few years, but almost decades, right? Is that from Oscar De La Hoya on up, mm-hmm. he really hasn't put a black fighter as his feature fighter. I mean, he's had, he's had Oscar De La Hoya, but he also had, you know, Floyd Mayweather. He also had Shane Mosley there, too. Um, you know, also, and the thing is, like, Floyd Mayweather and Shane Mosley both beat Oscar De La Hoya yeah. uh, later on, later on, but, you know, up to, if it was up to Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather would have said that he would have beat Oscar back then when he was, you know, at 130 and 135. I think um, he would have beat I Oscar think, too at that, at that weight. Yeah, that weight, yeah. And, and, and one of the, you know, factors to that, and what showed Aram that he couldn't match Floyd Mayweather with anybody was when he beat Diego Corrales. And the way that he beat Diego Corrales, oh yeah, that, pretty much that said, was a masterpiece. Yeah, yeah, that was a masterpiece. But when Floyd did that, it made Aram be like, uh-oh, I can't really put him against anybody else that I have because if I do and those guys give me money and if I put him against Mayweather, Mayweather will beat him. Mm-hmm. And then what happens mm-hmm. to those guys? So, so from that point on, they really couldn't. He really couldn't match him up against you know the you know Oscar or anybody like uh, or like a Fernando Vargas or somebody like that. You know, somebody that's like an all action fighter that if you match if you match them up with another person that's like goes forward, it would be a fans type of fight mm-hmm. that fans will talk about. You know, like 
Corrales Castillo is a fan fight. People talk about that fight. The Gotti Ward series. Those are yeah. fans type of fights. But if a Floyd Mayweather goes against a Diego Corrales, he does them. If he goes against a Toro Gotti, he does them. Because yeah. those those are bad mismatches. You know? So that's the thing with um Bob Aram is that he, he's basically set it up for those past few years or so where he could have guys like, you know, Oscar De La Hoya or Miguel Cotto or Manny Pacquiao. And those guys could bring them the money. But if you put them against the wrong guys, then they'll end up losing and there goes the money. Yeah. yeah. I mean that's the thing. That's the thing on him. So we'll, and, and right now, Aaron is trying to look for those type of guys where he's, you know, able to kind of see who else will bring him the money. But like I said, he's not going to put somebody like a Terrence Crawford up there up front. He will put somebody like a Nonito Donaire up front. You know, yeah. like he did a couple yeah. of years ago, and. Then he they ended up having to match him up against Guillermo Rigondeaux, and Guillermo Rigondeaux basically took him to school. And after he did but, that, what happened to Rigondeaux? He didn't fight for almost a year after that. That's right. Right. I love that dude. I'm like, Guillermo Rigondeaux, like, pound for pound, is like the most skilled fighter out there in the sport right now. Oh, yeah. But he can't really get a fight with anybody because everybody knows that he'll beat everybody. So that's the thing about that. I mean, those are those are the guys that, you know, people are, these other fighters are really scared of. Um, we got uh, somebody else on the line here coming up here, 813-784. Uh, let me see if I can get you on the line right here. 813-784, what's going on? What's up, man? How you doing out there, man? I'm doing good. I'm good. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah. We're just uh, going through the whole thing with uh, Bob Barham and 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 how we kind of like, you know, either protects fighters or doesn't give certain fighters the shine that they have. You know what I'm saying? Um, so we were kind of like talking about how, you know, he kind of like features guys like Oscar De La Hoya or, um, you know, Miguel Cotto. Or Manny Pacquiao, but not um, but not a Floyd Mayweather, Shane Mosley, or Guillermo Rigondeaux. You know what I mean? It's kind of like uh, like uh, you know, like teachers have favorite students, and they won't admit it, but they they do. They have their favorite students. Maybe uh, they see something different in them the others don't. Maybe they think the other guys are just I don't know. It's uh, it's some ability in people that where they either see the goodness or the badness in someone, and sometimes it's just uh, you know, blind bias. Maybe he just right. likes one guy better, just he's more friendly with him. I don't know. Uh, right. Come down to a lot of different things. So uh, I I don't know. I've 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 noticed. Uh, it's kind of happened. It, 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 Bob Aram does it obviously to a fault, 
but I've seen it, you know, across across sports. I, I mean, if you're just taking combat sports, look look at um, look at UFC. They're they're notorious for promoting their brand and not promoting their fires, but yet there's not really a conversation where he doesn't try to find a way to talk about Ronda Rousey, you know, Dana, yeah. Dana White. So, it, mm-hmm. you know, he there, there's people he picks and chooses and, you know, certain parts he pitches his wagon to. Um, but I, I mean, it's kind of more human nature. I don't know. The, the thing is with boxing, and nothing against top rank, they've always been good to me getting credentials or, you know, I, I mean, right. some, some, some fighters don't really like them or some people don't like them, but I can tell you, uh, out of golden boy, out of, um, it could be Heyman's, Heyman's group, um, out of all of them, they're the ones that always responded the quickest to any of my requests, any of my communications, concerns, um, you know, <laughs> So I, I don't know. It uh, right. it really it's just it's human element to it. But yeah, it, yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting to see who they they need. They need some more. That's why when they say Rock Nation came in, Fifty has his thing. You know, it, it's almost I think could make boxing better to have more of that because once you start getting more big money involved, big big name people involved with it. These were one step closer to a little bit more regulation. And we know when we're able to regulate certain things a bit more, we're able to change different dynamics, maybe create more of a fan appeal for those casual fans. So, you know, where they go more along the lines of establishing, you know, there's these three belts or these five belts or whatever it is, uh, these five organizations or four organizations that are, the primary one, and they kind of look at it as other sports look at divisions where, you know, I don't know, almost almost, almost in, in almost a team concept. I know they use it for the World Series of Boxing and actually have a team of 20-some, 25 boxers, but only five will fight on the card, and they interchange, and they fight every other week for the three or four months that they're going. But it, you know, right. I don't know. It'll be interesting yeah, to I, see what happens. I, yeah, I kind of understand that thing about, you know, top rank is, uh, you know, kind of being more, you know, welcoming as far as, like, allowing media to their events or something like that. But um, that's the other thing that I think has to be, um, you know, kind of fixed there is that, a lot of these promotional companies, whether it's uh, through Golden Boy or Top Rank or Gary Shaw or Rock Nation or, you know, Al Heyman or whatever it is, they, they need to, like, open it up to not only just, like, media, small people, like media, like we're trying to be, but also more to the fans and, you know, kind of get them to know who the boxes are. Uh, let me just, just hold on just a moment. I'm, I'm going to uh, put you on hold here. Yeah, Matt. Hold on. Well, Hold on, I had to uh, put you on hold there right quick uh, just for the, you know, background and something like that. But I just want to put in that point as far as, you know, those other guys coming in as far as, like, 
you know, Rock Nation with Jay-Z or, you know, 50 Cent with his promotional company. Um, you have all these other ones that are, like, smaller that are trying to get their names out there. But, but you still have the other ones that have been there for a while, like Gary Shaw. And um, you have the one that basically promoted the show that was yesterday um, from Britain that they're also trying to do their thing, too. So as long as they're able to, like, open the doors for the fans and kind of, like, get them to interact with the fighters and, you know, not, like, necessarily have an all-access type of thing, but at least, you know, have the fans be more familiar with the fighters that are out there, then they'll be able to, you know, be more receptive to the sport in general. I'm going to put you back on here right quick, uh, Matt. Um, yeah, I got uh, kids in the man, background. Yeah. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, well, it's the best way to do that, and it's this is my advice for 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 hockey, for Major League Baseball. You know, if you want to get more fans involved, how do you get more people involved? You open up to the media. See, that's the thing is, we look at we look at in this day and age where where the media is really vilified in a lot of sense. The, the media, let's look at it like this. If you take out the media, you're not watching anything on TV. You don't got the news on it. There's no newspaper, no magazines. There's no understanding of what happened unless you were actually there, if you take away the media. You don't know any of the players' responses. Well, now we have social media, but, you you know, who's going to go out and follow every single athlete in every single sport? Not many people are, especially... You can't do that because, twi- like, if Twitter, it limits you to 2,000 follows until 2,000 people have followed you, and then you can go over that threshold to 5,000, until 5,000 has followed right. you. So, you know, there's caps and regulations, and even if you like everybody on Facebook, I mean, how frequent are they updating their Facebook? I mean, you work in right. multimedia. You understand how that works. So it's not it's irrealistic to think that, you know, that they'd be able to do that. We they they need the media as much as the media needs them. Now, there's a lot of argument over who gives what to the media, how much they interact with the media. I I, can, I, I don't really don't care about that. To be honest, if, if you don't want to talk to me, whatever. I'm a good enough writer. I'll write. I'll write the story without your quote. You know, really, the only reason reporters will go to the athlete is to get a little snippet from their point of view, hear what they have to say. You know, we don't. Writers don't need that. We can write the story without it. We were there. We saw what happened. We know what happened. Yeah. We'll write about it. So if you want to be a part of that and give your two cents, we want to make sure we add that in there. Fans like that shit. So we'll add it. But if not, well, we won't. You'll go about your business. We'll go about ours. We'll both collect our paychecks exactly. and be happy. So, But they, if they open it up to the media, see, this is a problem that I've run in with, um, like, bigger organizations like like the NFL, they'll open up what they call uh, like blogger days, and they'll have three blogger days, all training camp, but you can only attend one of the three, and that's it. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, so what about the games? Well, if you are an online-only entity, somebody that doesn't have a call letter, basically if you didn't start with a W or a K, right, right. You can't, you, you're not going to get credentials. No. No, you're not. They have other. The thing is, 
And then now the thing is, I know people with, with, with stuff like that, right? The thing is with stuff like that, yeah. as far as like the NFL is concerned, especially you know the NFL, NBA, MLB, or something like that, they're corporate. So the corporate people yeah. are only going to deal with corporate companies. So like you said, if you don't have a W in front of your name, an E in front of your name, or you know something like that, they're not going to deal with you because you're not you know under that moniker because they're they're like partners with those type of things because. You know, yeah. that's who they're working with. They're working with the ESPNs, the ABCs, the NBCs, CBSs, you know, the Fox Sports ones and all of that. They work with those and it, guys. But, and it's crazy because, you know, like, for example, you and I, we're actually registered members of associations. Like, we're members of the NFL media, the actual NFL right. media. We're we're members of the, the National Sports Writers and Sports Casters Association of America. We're outstanding right. members of credible organizations, but they still look at who you're writing for. You know, if I'm writing for Bleacher Report, then they're owned by CNN. Yeah. But if I'm writing for, for you know, the cold hard truth on sports or or even even uh, before with, with Black Sports Online, you know, they, they were only getting into places before Fox started stroking Robert a check. They were they were getting denied yeah. all over the place because they weren't backed yeah, by exactly. anybody. So right. Mm-hmm. So I mean, I guess you know nowadays, I guess it's basically you know starting off as something like this, and then you know if somebody else notices or something like that, then you know you get picked up, you know, and once you get picked up, then then you basically go under the moniker of their network to get to yeah. the games. And do those reports. Yeah. So that's basically the gist of that. Um, but I think you know, with boxing, it, it's kind of it's kind of weird with boxing because it, it's quote unquote a professional sport, but it's not regulated, not necessarily regulated. So it's not like you know you could have just a set amount of people there. It should be able to be open to just about anybody. You know what I mean? So no matter, like, what type yeah. of event it is or the magnitude of the event, you should be able to get into it. Like, somebody like you and me should be able to get into the fight up in Brooklyn. We should be able to get into a fight like that because that's not, even though it's HBO, it's not like a pay-per-view fight. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or something like, I mean, or I, something I, like last year. Here, like but I think it's Thompson. more of a country thing, too, because... Every fight, with exception to one, um, the the Rocky Rocky Martinez Orlando Salido fight, that's the only one uh-huh. I didn't get credentials for here. But it was because of Puerto Rico best boxing promotions not answering any phone calls, any emails. You know, I it, it was just ridiculous. They don't even have an answering well, machine. Like, you know, these people, these people are. Promoting, yeah, I'm I'm gonna put their name out there like that because um it's it's really bullshit the way that they uh, conducted this thing. I mean, you, you're you're competing mm-hmm. with PBS or P, PBC on the same night of the the Patterson Garcia fight, and you're trying to get people to an event, and I'm trying to get you on air in Puerto Rico in another language, pay per view to compete with a, a a network boxing event. I mean, come on. You know, take advantage of my listeners that are in, you know, 47 different countries and the readers that in 68 different countries. You know, you give me some public, you, you, 
you, you get me into the fight, you, you're giving me my credentials to get into the fight, then, you know, I'm I'm going to write about it. Because it's it's not mm-hmm. so big that I have to write about it, but it's not so small. I mean, it's a belt, you know? It's a belt. Yeah, was, exactly. I think it was, it, was a, it was a, I don't even remember, it was a super lightweight, microscopic mm-hmm. weight, something there. I don't know, he's, I saw Rocky at the... When I when I covered the the Verdejo the Felix Verdejo fight, I saw him there. I was like, damn, he was yeah. little, really little. Yeah. Like you yeah. just seen it, you would think he was like fourteen. Like dude, uh, like uh, looked like those... a fourteen year old with like a thirty year old face. That you know one of those dudes, the dude that you know you was in middle school with, like he already yeah. looked old. Like are you someone's yeah. daddy. Yeah, or uncle or some some. That that's what yeah, he looked like. Them, yeah, but a lot of them, a lot of them aren't that aren't that big, and, and you would have to like for for people our size, you would have to be around the like the cruiserweight or light heavyweight, the heavyweight range to get to folks that are our size. But anyone yeah. under that, they're like really small. They're really small. Um, you, you know, know that's the thing is, you, you would dwarf them. Verdejo's pretty solid. He's pretty solid. I stood next to him. He's not. I mean, he's he's not he's not tall, but he's not really short. But he's he's pretty right. solid. He's young. I think he could put on weight. He could move up. He could move up into that. Probably, I don't know if he can get all the way up to like junior middleweight, but he could get. Yeah, he could. He could do. He could do middleweight. He could do middleweight. Yeah, definitely do middleweight. Right. I don't, maybe I don't know if he get up to junior welterweight. I don't know if he get that high. He defend. He no, he'd probably lose uh, the punching power. Where's he at right now? Where's he at right now? What's that? What weight um, class is he at right he's now? He's lightweight. Lightweight. He's okay. Folks so he lightweight. Could, yeah. 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 Like so, he could go okay. up. So he could go up. He would. In about a year and a half, he'll be a decent fight for Crawford. That would be a good. That probably would be a good fight then. You know, over there, you know, one forty, one forty-seven. Um, since he's at lightweight, um, you know, he could basically. You could basically be there for uh, Crawford in the next year or year and a half. Uh, so that would be one yeah. thing. Uh, real quick, real quick for those listening on Blog Talk Radio, the the number is three four seven two three seven five five three nine. We have about fifteen minutes or so left uh, for the live stream. Uh, you can call in to get in live uh, to talk. Uh, press one key to be on queue. Uh, you know, next thing uh, coming up here. Uh, on sleepers, you know, basically talking about upcoming fights. Um, with our previous caller here, eight four three. Um, I didn't get your name at eight four three. What's your name? Ernest. Dennis. Ernest. All right. Uh, Ernest. All right. Thanks, sir. Ernest. Uh, we were talking about a couple of fights, like such as uh, you know, Bradley and Vargas uh, coming up here, you know, at welterweight, and also uh, you have. You know, on June 6th, Miguel Cotto and Daniel Gill. And I like to focus on that Miguel Cotto Daniel Gill fight because I wrote a quick article on it last night saying that um, I don't know about I'm I'm kind of kind of having weird feelings about this fight with Miguel Cotto. Um, reason why I say this is because for one, uh, Daniel Gill is 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 a game middleweight fighter. Um, he's won championships in the in the middleweight division. He's won actually, um, you know, the WBA uh, middleweight championship, mm-hmm. and he's been the IBF champion. Um, 
He did lose by a knockout to uh, Golovkin. It was pretty game with that. But he's been a lot more active than Cotto has been. Um, and Cotto's coming in there, uh, and it'll be like almost exactly one year to the day since his last fight um, against Sergio Martinez um, over there in Madison Square Garden. Yeah, and he pretty much broke down Martinez. But the thing Ma- about Martinez, I mean, Martinez is, was already broke down. Yeah, exactly. Martinez was already broke down. Uh, he had that leg injury, and his his people kept that under wraps. That you know he wasn't fully recovered from that, and he still took the fight anyway. So you know, Cota was able to run through him to win the win the title. And um, you know, ever since you know they've been trying to match Cota up with um, Canelo Alvarez, and that fight kind of fell through. So now. He's going up here against Daniel Gale, who's a game middleweight um, that's taller, has longer reach, and you know if he's able to box, then and and not, you know, let Cotto get to the inside to do his body work, he might be able to do something to him. Um, is there anything you want to add to that? Well, I don't think it's a good fight for Cotto. I mean, I don't in, in that regard. You know, I mean, it's almost like a, it's almost like the situation with uh, Austin Trout. You know, his his fight after he lost to Floyd Mayweather, he fought Austin Trout at uh, Madison Square Garden, and Austin Trout was able to beat him. Yeah. Uh, you know, by you know. So so if um, Daniel Gale is able to do the same thing here, at um, at the Barclays. He might be able to score a victory over Miguel Cotto and, and win that WBC middleweight championship and basically kind of you know thwart any future hopes of a of a Cotto Canelo matchup happening uh, sometime maybe in September or something like that or any any time later than that. Well, September might be a little bit too soon um, for that to happen. Uh, so it might it might end up being later on, maybe sometime next year. But yeah, and that one with Cotto and Gale is kind of kind of a uh, dangerous fight, you know, for Miguel Cotto. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Do uh, go after there? I'm trying to see if there's like any other, you know, fights on the horizon that I'm looking for. Um, but we got another person uh, coming up right here on the line. Three three six. Uh, three three six. Are you on the line live? Yeah, three three six. Yeah, what's going on, my man? Uh, I can't yeah, just sitting right here. Yeah, just sitting right here. Uh, we uh, just went through the thing with um, you know, Miguel Cotto facing uh, Daniel Gill here, and and I said that I basically wrote an article on the uh. You know, on um, you can get the article by going to the CAC on sports and dot com and going to the boxing section, or type in the boxing source dot net, and you'll be able to find that article on there. Um, and I'm also looking for people to kind of like contribute to uh, writing articles in the boxing section, also. So if y'all want to do that, just uh, go ahead and send it to. Um, you know, boxing source twenty fifteen at gmail dot com and then I'll review it and if I approve then I'll just, you know, post it on there, you know, put your name on there and if you have contact information as far as like a Twitter handle or something like that, then I'll add that there also. Um 
But yeah, I was basically talking about, you know, Miguel Cotto basically watching out for this fight against Daniel Gill. Um, you know, being inactive for basically 366 days, exactly. And, um, you know, going against a game, Daniel Gill, that's a true middleweight, has won titles in, at, at the middleweight division and also has fought, like, you know, the top contenders in the middleweight class. So it's something for, you know, Miguel Cotto to watch out for. Yeah, I, I, mean, I agree. So is it? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree with you uh, 100%. You know, it's going to be a tough test for him. I still, like I said before, looking at his opposition since then with Freddie Roach, I mean, when I look at the Martinez fight, I don't really give him a lot of credit for that fight. Just looking at Martinez inactive, how long he had been inactive, and then he come back from an injury, right? But... Mm-hmm. This going to be a tough test for him, especially at 160. We'll see in a couple of weeks. Yeah, definitely see in a couple of weeks here. Um, you know, over there at the Barclays, you know, what, what he'll be able to do, you know, against Daniel Gale. Because, um, um, you know, people are still talking about um, the potential of him fighting uh, Canelo uh, later on. Um, you know, maybe either later this year or maybe sometime next year that that's the type of fight that, you know, people are looking for the, you know, the, you know, the annual or, you know, Puerto Rico versus Mexico type of fight that, uh, you know, they've had over the course of the past, you know, 10 or 15 years or so that kind of like bring some of the best matches that boxing has had. So they're kind of like holding on to see if that fight is, uh, you know, coming up in the works. Um, you know, once again, uh, for those listening to Blog Talk Radio, uh, call in number is, is 347-237-5539. Press one key to get on cue. Basically, have uh, about nine minutes on the live show before you go into overtime. Um, once we end here at 830 at overtime, you can't really get in. You'll have to listen in after the show is done, basically at around 930 Eastern time. Um, trying to see here what else we got going on because I, I had like a couple of things that I wanted to say for overtime. Um, so I wanted to go back to the um, fight that was mentioned earlier that's coming up is that welterweight fight between Timothy Bradley and Jesse Vargas. And um, we had, like I said last week, I, it was kind of weird to see them have this type of matchup so soon for Vargas um, and to have it at, you know, welterweight. Um, you know, he's basically there at, at, at you know, at the 140-pound division, and he, and he really hasn't done enough, in my opinion, at 140 to go against a guy like Timothy Bradley, who's, you know, basically been the best at 140 when he was there and then went up to 147 and won a belt at 147. So this one here is almost like a, a dangerous fight for Jesse Vargas that might, you know, stop his, you know, kind of trek to be one of the best fighters within those two divisions. Um, I said that he, that Vargas could have fought, still could have fought at 140 against a couple of fighters, 
Um, like I said, Matisse providing the coughs there. Um, you beat them, you could face, you know, um, Terrence Crawford to be, you know, to be regarded as the best 140-pound fighter out there. And then once you do that, then you could move up. But I guess uh, Bob Arum didn't want to quite do that. Nah. Nah, to me, this fight right here, if you look at Tim, whenever you see a a fighter that's giving his opponent so much credit so early, right, he's Mm -hmm. trying to convince the fans that this is a tough fight. I mean, I don't, not to say the kid can't get lucky, but I don't really deem it as a tough fight. I mean, I don't think he said that much about Pacquiao when he faced him or anybody else. I mean, he's got he's got Vargas looking like he's a real beast, you know. Mm. Yeah. I mean, interviews that I heard him say, oh, I can't take him lightly and all of this and that. I mean, you can't take anybody lightly because he's just a seasoned, he's seasoned fighter. But, mm-hmm. I mean, I just think that um, this fight ain't as, ain't as tough that he's trying to lead it on to be. Right, exactly. Exactly. I mean, I mean, we're talking about Timothy Bradley that went, you know, toe-to-toe with, you know, providing the call in an all-out war and, 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 and still was able to, you know, take that the punches cool. from him, you know, and, and you know, take the punches from him. And then he had, you know, two fights from, you know, from Manny Pacquiao. Uh, he was able to beat, you know, Marquez. So he's been there against, you know, the best, some of the best fighters in, in 147 and 140, you know, already. So you're going against a game veteran that really, really hasn't shown any signs of slowing down uh, there. And you're going against him at welterweight. Yeah, that's going to be, yeah, I think that that may have been a mistake for, for Vargas right there. I think it may have been a mistake. Well, I believe it is um, because Bradley's a solid matchup for anybody at uh, at Walter Wake right now. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, and then he also he also got a. Um, I still don't give Roy a lot of credit as a trainer. I mean, all these guys they think <laughs> oh, just because they block yeah. they trainer. Roy Roy still wants the spotlight. I mean, so if if. All I can think about is the Pascal fight, you know, before the fight. It's like it's all about him. I mean, I don't get it, you know. To me, I think Roy will hurt you more than he more than he can help you as a trainer. Mm-hmm. Not to say that he that he can't be a good trainer, but until he concentrates on training and not concentrate so much on want to be in front of the cameras, I mean, I just think it's a conflict of interest. Yeah. Yeah, it kind of is when when he's uh, when he's basically, you know, trying to take the spotlight away from, you know, not only not only the fighter, but the main trainer that was there. You know, we kind of, he kind of like took, took it away from Pascal's main trainer. Um, he's right. not, he's not necessarily like a, like a, um, like a Pernell Whitaker there or, um, 
Who else would be somebody? A buddy, a buddy, buddy McGirt, um, Mark Breland. I mean, I mean, come on, he he he's not that type of trainer. And as him, yeah. as long as he was an active fighter and a champion, he knows the number one thing is you can't have a lot of voices in the corner. Is one, right. and for him to try to overshadow. Pasco's trainer, that was strictly disrespectful. And if I'd have been his head trainer, I'd have told him to shut up. You know, hey, I, I got this. I'm the trainer here. You be quiet. But Roy, no better. Yeah. Roy, is, you know, Roy wants to, he, he, he loves the camera. I mean, to me, you would think the HBO job would be enough. Yeah, you would think so, but according to him, that's not the case. Um, You know, he, he he still just wants to see if he could be there on TV any 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 way he can. And oh oh snap! Um, speaking of Roy Jones, I just heard that he he basically got got the cruiserweight fight against Marco Huck. I think that fight yeah I think that fight was basically announced that he's fighting Marco Huck. Uh, uh, last thing I last thing I seen on he's supposed to be fighting. July the 4th in Arizona. That's the last yeah. thing I've seen. Now, to me, you tell me why. Why does Roy Jones deserve a fight with Huck? Roy hasn't fought nobody but Tomato Can. You look at his last exactly. okay, he fought. He fought in Pensacola his last fight. He fought in Charlotte about two months before that. He fought a couple months before that against Bums. So what? why should he fight Huck? He don't yeah, deserve a shot. I'm not sure. I'm not sure at all why he wants to, you know, do that. But he, he, um, he, he basically like he did those two fights in like what three weeks or two weeks or whatever it is, and it's kind of like was uh, nobody really want, knows what he's doing. Uh, we pretty much got a uh, one minute left here um, uh, on the live show. So if there was like anyone else that just wanted to get in. If anyone else wanted to get in, three four seven two three seven five five three nine. Press one key to be on cue to talk in for the show. Um, you know, basically we're about to step into overtime here, and you know we still got a couple of more fights or potential fights that you know we would like to talk about. Um, I think in overtime I'll probably get into my list. I basically made a list for the top ten pound for pound, so you'll get that a little bit later. Um, I'll, I'll talk about the whole little thing with the so-called Twitter beat that's going on uh, with um with uh, Joe Calzaghe and, and Carl Froch, um that's gone on over the past couple of days, which is kind of funny. So, so we're we're probably gonna get to that a little bit. Um, you know, they kind of they kind of like went at it with each other, so it seems like. You know they kind of like kind of talk trash that, you know, since um, you know, Carl Fries is basically the the guy right now as far as like England is concerned for, you know, those type of fighters and 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 and, and that type of thing and, you know, Kalzaki like was undefeated in his career but nobody really gave him that much credit because he kind of like didn't really face anybody at the height of his career and. 
the the fight against Hopkins and Jones were kind of like anomalies. So people don't necessarily give him credit for his undefeated record because he basically fought every single fight. But those two fights against Jones and Hopkins, you know, in England. So they've been basically going at it uh, over the last day or so. And um, I think, like, they said that Kalzagi ended up blocking Carl Fright from accessing his Twitter account or communicating with him on Twitter. So that was kind of funny. Um, what 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 do y'all think about um, Carl Frotch overall? No, at first, and then I have a follow up question to that. Carl Frotch, yeah, mean, he's legitimate. I don't care what nobody say. Carl Frotch can yeah, fight. You had to fight with uh, Frotch, man. Yeah, he can fight. I mean, he's he's a legitimate fighter. I mean, when I look at the two, no disrespect. No disrespect to Kawasaki, but I think Frost fought better competition. You know, I mean that the Super Six. I mean that was some good competition in that in that Super Six. I mean to see some of the people that he beat. He beat Abraham. Everybody thought Abraham was gonna knock him out. Okay, he outboxed mm-hmm. him and made him look bad. The Darrell fight, great fight. You know, he got the win. I mean. Even the Ward fight, I mean, yeah, Ward dominated him, but he was a solid competitor. I mean, right. I give him when I look at the two. I mean, to me, he's he's much better. Looking at the opposition that he's faced, right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um. Well, what did you think about what do you think about Carl Frost? Frost, well, oh, I think Frost, I think Frost is a good fighter proving himself, man. And I've been hearing his name versus uh, DDG. I can see Frost actually beating that guy. I do too. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, my thing. Yeah, my thing is that yeah, I've been yeah, folks have been saying you know talking about Golovkin fighting all these other guys and you know middleweight and and those that are coming up from you know. Uh, 154, like Canelo or Andre Ward, and we're like, you know, why don't you fight Carl Frotch? And um, I don't know, you could do it at Wembley Stadium. Um, we wanted to play something real quick because, um, you know, they got that little thing going on from the weigh-in that happened on May 1st. So I'm gonna see if I could uh, play this clip right here, uh, audio clip, and see if it works. Hold on a minute. Before I, before I knocked out George Groves at Wembley Stadium in front of 80,000 fans, I worked a lot on, on power, so I did a lot of swimming and I chopped down a few trees myself. And then I held my feet and then I knocked him out. And I'm not known as a one-punch knockout man. Have you been doing that yourself a little bit? Um, I, I, yes, I've been... Working sw- on power. Uh, I've just been swimming this camp. You know, earlier on in my career, I had a lot more knockouts to where, you know, Later on in my career, my hands had a lot of wear and tear. You know, after, after 30 years of fighting, of course, your hands and your body are going to take, have a lot of wear and tear. So my hands took a lot of wear and tear later on in my career. And fighters, when I would beat them, they would go into survival mode just to survive. Okay. Um, but um, we. Yeah. Um. That's that's basically what, you know, the 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 uh, the basic joke that's that's been floating around with with Carl Frost is that. In that interview, he kind of like mentioned 
feeding or knocking out uh, George Groves in front of 80,000 at Wembley. Yeah, in front of 80,000 at Wembley. Because he said it twice. He said it earlier in that earlier in that interview, and then he just mentioned it again when, you know, um, Carl Frotch asked the question. So you talk about, yeah, Golovkin, and Golovkin saying that, hey, he wants to fight Ward, and, and he wants to fight Cotto uh, and Canelo and get a pay-per-view fight or whatever it is. And, and it's like... Well, why not fight Carl Frotch? I mean, Frotch needs somebody to fight. And, you know, Frotch is kind of, you know, out there at, at super middleweight. And Andre Ward's next fight is going to be a light heavyweight. So my thing is Andre Ward is going to be a light heavyweight from now on. Uh, so he's not going to be going down to super middleweight anytime soon to fight anybody because, you know, Andre Ward was the winner of the Super 6. So... He basically proved that he's the best super middleweight out there, and there was nobody out there left for him to fight in super middleweight. So it was only a matter of time before Andre Ward moved up to light heavyweight to try to test those waters. Uh, you know, if he didn't have those contractual issues, he would have already been in light heavyweight. So the thing is, it's like if there's anyone that Golovkin can fight, why don't he fight Carl Frotch in November? You know, he could fight somebody. I said he could fight Andy Lee in August if he wants to fight every three months. Fight Andy Lee in August. You beat Andy Lee, then go against Carl Frotch in November. I think they got a chance against him, man. Who else has? I thought I was saying uh, I think Dane Jacobs got a chance against GGG, man. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. That's interesting. Um, Dane Jacobs is pretty good, but I think Daniel, if, if if Daniel can handle his power, I think he could do okay. But I still would like to see him against Daniel. I would like to see him against Kid Chocolate. Clean up your right. own division first. Yeah. You know, yeah, fight all guys first. I mean, because I, I mean, the way that he's going, I'm losing respect for him. It's like a bully. Okay, you got timetables mm-hmm. on everybody that's a few pounds above you, but you want to fight all these little guys now. Oh, I want Mayweather. I want Cotto. I mean, I want Canelo. I want Cotto. Why come you don't clean up your own weight class to show us that you are the best in that weight class, and then why not fight mm-hmm. us? Come on, man. Frotch is 38 years old. I mean, why you wouldn't want his name on your resume? Okay. Why are you putting a timetable on Ward? Ward haven't fought in so long is unreal. Let Ward come back. Get a fight on his belt. Alright, fight Ward at the end of the year to catch weight. If he wanna be the star that he's claiming he wants to be, he's gotta take risks. It's not mm-hmm. everything's not indicated by what him and his camp wants to do. You know, I mean, you, you don't want to fight anybody except for the people who you think can't take your power. That's why you don't yeah. want to fight Crotch. Crotch yeah, is usually getting hit by a solid guy. He, right. he needs to take a risk, man, because he's starting like a hype job. Right, and that's all he is to me. I mean, I still haven't seen him fight, you know, a loser-type fighter. 
Oh boy, the last fight, he didn't pass the test. You know, show me that no, he he's a slick guy. Because I just seen that Laura just called him out. Laura yeah. just yes, did yeah, fight. Yeah. You know, but you're not going to fight Laura because Laura will make you look bad. Laura will have you swinging at the air. And Laura can't mm-hmm. touch you when he wants to touch you. You know, I mean, until he showed me he say the right things, but I've seen a lot of fighters before him do it. You got to show me, and I don't want to see you keep picking on the little guys. Fight a legitimate guy. Yeah. Yeah, my point was is that, you know, at middleweight, I mean, you recently had Bernard Hopkins have 20-plus title defenses at middleweight. Um, You had, had, um, you know, Sergio Martinez, Basically, be the Ring Magazine uh, middleweight champion um, to, you know, fight from 2010 up to like 2013 or whatever it is. He was the middleweight champion and he beat everybody. So it's like, why don't you just stay there at middleweight, make your name at middleweight, and, you know, kind of fight those guys like fight Andy Lee, fight Kid Chocolate, fight, fight, um, well, I was gonna say fight Bill Chavez, but Bill Chavez looks like he's at middleweight right now. <laughs> so, damn, and, um, what's going on with Chavez, man? Oh no, nah, man, he that one right there, man. I, I don't know because he he lost that he lost that fight, and he basically it was like he basically quit on that fight, and that's why it got on him all. That's it. He basically quit against Funfar, but Funfar. Actually, from he far lost as his courage, man. He needed to go see Oz, man. He lost his courage. Yeah, yeah. But um, from far, actually, is a good is a good fighter. And actually, after um, Ward fights his his fight here, I think he should fight from far next if he's going to stay a well, uh, light heavyweight. I'm going to tell you like this right here. Lewis Chavez had no business getting in the ring with that guy. That no. guy should have a fighter for him to be getting in the ring with him at light heavy. I mean, all you got to do is watch him against Adonis Stevenson. He is a legitimate fighter. And yeah. that would be an interesting that would be an interesting fight for, for Ward just to see if Ward is a legitimate light heavy after this first fight. That would be a good one. Yeah, it would. Definitely would. Um it would be one that would test him at at, at uh you know at uh light heavyweight because I think that's a valid a valid matchup for him. You know? I really think that's a valid matchup for him. But that he uh didn't didn't Ward say that he was gonna take this fight at light heavy and then he was going back down? I mean, if I'm not mistaken, Wonders. I thought I seen I thought I seen him in Wonders. an interview saying saying that he was gonna fight this first one at light heavy, then he was going back down. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I didn't know I didn't know about all that if he was um um yeah, because they were trying to look. They was they was bringing up Sergey, right? And he was uh-huh. like, "No, he's not. He's not gonna stay at light heavy." 
you know, said he was going to go back down. I mean, I don't know if, if he is really, I don't know if he got the power for light heavy to really, because I'm going to tell you something, man. When you look at Sergey and them boys, and you guys saw it from the Hopkins fight, the guy is so much bigger than yeah. the Wards and the Hopkins. I mean, he he almost looks like a heavyweight compared to those guys. Yeah, and that's exactly. the difference. That's the difference in the fight. You know, I mean, and and he's so long. You know, it's hard to fight a guy like that. Right. Mm-hmm. It is. And, uh, I mean, he, he's basically, well, he's going to have another fight coming up here. Um, uh, Kovalev is. And I guess, well, he's actually, yeah, he's kind of, you know, tall for it, for that uh, weight class. Well, I mean, he's exactly at six feet, but, you know, he got the reach and the, and the, and the power. So it's not like, you know, there's those other type of fighters in that, weight class that could really get to him because he's basically a tall fighter. Um, you know, they're six feet plus and all of those other guys like heavyweight are like, you know, five ten, five eleven, you know, maybe even like five nine. So he he's like he's almost like a like a Klitschko, so to speak, in that division. You know what I mean? Correct. You know he's so. big. You know, he, he's a he's a solid guy, so there isn't really that much left for him to do um, at light heavyweight until you know the inevitable may happen with there because everybody wants Kovalev versus Stevenson. They're waiting for that to happen. So once that happens, then you basically know who the best at light heavyweight is. And after that, you know. It's up to whoever the winner is what they're going to do next after that, you know. Because it's not like they're really going to go to cruiserweight because there isn't much at cruiserweight. At least not that much left at cruiserweight. You know, so. Um, well, uh, just uh, going to the ne- this other thing here before I go into my top 10 pound for pound, I'm going to go back to, uh, you know, like what my brother was talking about with um the upcoming fight between Broner and Porter on the on the 20th of June, and also with uh, Errol Spence fighting on that card too. But we were talking about you know Broner and Porter and how Al Heyman is basically set this up, you know, not for Porter, but it is sending a message to Adrian Broner as to say, hey, look, uh, you're messing up out here. Uh, we were gonna try to groom you. You try to be the the next in line, but you keep messing up. So we put you up here against, you know, Sean Porter because if Sean Porter is able to beat you, then you're you're out. You're you're put the pasture. You're done. We're not gonna deal with you anymore. So I mean, that's the thing that I got from you know one of those things you know floating around on YouTube that Al Heyman is kind of getting sick and tired of Broner's antics out there. So. He's like, so you want to do all that type of stuff? Okay, then. Go against Sean Porter. You know, see how that yeah, is I mean, and see how he deals with that. Yeah, I'm hearing that. I, I, they say 
they they say he's the only fighter that Al can't can't even reach. They say everybody else Al say something, they listen. Besides Brona, but the funny thing about this fight, I see Brona beating him. I I mean every everybody that you talk to, they say. Porter, Porter, Porter. Porter, to me, he can't fight number coming forward. I, I think Broner learned a lot against Madonna. And I say that because the Madonna fight, he tried to fight to please the crowd. And he engaged with the stronger and the bigger puncher. If Broner comes in and he boxes and, and, and he uses his boxing ability, get his shots off and turn Porter, he can outbox Porter. We all know Porter can be outboxed. He right. can't get in there and try to engage in a firefight with him. I mean, of course, everybody knows who has the edge with that one. But I'm going to be one of the ones I like the Matisse fight against Danny Garcia. I see Brona winning this fight. Well, I see him winning, mm-hmm. but he's going to have to be mobile. He's going to have to fight like kind of so like he fought out uh, Molina. You know, no more of that flat footed shit like he had against uh, Paulie, uh, right. Paulie and uh, Lee Donna. He, he got a movement. Yeah, I, I see he's the same way. I'm like, he's got to move. And, and, and my thing is, if he don't, if he don't move and get away from. Uh, from Porter's hooks, man, that that'll be it. You know, yeah. I don't think you'll be able to. I don't think you'll be able to withstand those type of those type of punches uh, that um, that Sean Porter has for him. You know, so well, you know, that's something if, if you listen, to watch out for. If, if he listen to Stratford in the corner, I mean, Stratford will have him ready. Now, if he get in there and be and and be a uh, and, and not listen, he'll get beat. But if he get in there and listen and, and he fight and use his advantages and that's his, his, his boxing ability, he know he can't stand in that with Porter. I mean, that's mm-hmm. common sense. But he can outbox Porter. His conditioning is going to be key in his fight. If he can close the show, he will be up. He will be up far enough to where he can but he got to have a condition on the back end, too, though. Because your boy, he's going to be desperate. And to, I, I see him coming in wild and reckless after he gets down. And I, I still see Brona winning this fight. But mm. this, this fight still has a certain level of, of intensity because uh, – Porter can't afford to lose either, man. He can't be taking a loss now at this point in his career if he wants to be uh, considered as a guy to kind of reckon with instead of like a gatekeeper or something, man. He got to prove his point now. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, you're right on that. Right on that. Um, I'm just looking at uh, another thing here. It, uh, actually, me and, uh, you know, Greg on the line were talking about yesterday. Actually, um, on July 11th, um, they said it would be on Premier Boxing Champions. 
uh, the thing with uh, Keith Thurman. Um, on July 11th, he'll be fighting Luis Palazzo uh, at Welterweight, and it's going to be in Tampa uh, there. So it will be, you know, around his hometown. So it'll be a hometown type of fight for him, you know, after going against, um, you know, Robert the Ghost Guerrero in a back-and-forth type of fight. And uh, I'm saying um, that this is kind of his, you know, cool-down fight or calm-down fight after going against Guerrero because, you know, Guerrero was a little bit more aggressive there. He would have took Thurman if he was a little bit more aggressive against him. So I think this one here is kind of a step, you know, it's it's definitely a step down for Keith Thurman. Uh, But we really won't. It's not like, you know, we're really going to see him against, you know, those big type of guys like he said that he wanted to do, like, you know, fight the Americans and the and the Floyd Mayweathers or anything like that. But now he's turning around and fighting Luis Colazzo at Walsley. So I'm like, come on, man. Yeah. Like, what what is, what is this real, you know, thing that he's trying to do here? You know? Well... In my opinion, we've seen it all before. Your matchmaker knows what you do well against, and he yeah. knows what frustrates the owner what out of you. And they will always keep putting him in there with the same type fighters. If you look at everybody he's faced, everybody he faces, they stay right in front of you. All right, friends. Mm-hmm. All right, when he fought the the, um, the Italian kid, right, and he really wasn't the, the most elusive fighter, but he could move a little bit, right? He didn't look at Shaw, you know. So my thing is they they still trying to, to, to get his fan base up. They keep airing him, but they, they showing him against the same type fighters because they're trying to get the payday when they got to put him in there with one that's elusive because they already know the matchmaker knows you better than anybody. They know what you do good against. They know what you're getting beat up in the gym with every day. So that's pretty much hey, the matchmaker knows best. Yeah, yeah. because this last fight uh, with Ghost scared this old cat, man. Ghost gave him some problems. He definitely did. Definitely did, man. Um, Ghost was able to give him problems and, and I was thinking, like, if, if if Ghost was able to work work his jab before getting to the inside, he would have scored more points against Thurman, and he would have hurt him a little bit more once he got to the inside. But he didn't mm-hmm. he didn't use that jab as much as he should have because the jab was working against Keith Thurman. You know, really was working against him. So if he was able to, if he was, if he would able to keep doing that, then he would have, you know, got that and maybe uh. Maybe I was able to take it. Um, what I'm thinking with Keith Thurman is, depending on what happens after uh, September, uh, depending on who Floyd fights in September, I'm looking at a possible matchup with Keith Thurman and Danny Garcia at Walter. I would love to see because, it. Because... You know, Garcia Peterson was at 143. Um, those who basically fought everybody at, at, 
at 140. So they don't have any other thing to do but to move up to welterweight. So why not have Danny Garcia against Keith Thurman later on this year for a welterweight title and see if one of those two would be your next in line for, you know, your your um, welterweight, you know, as the best welterweight out there. Because the thing is, I'm not, you know, I don't put that much confidence in it as far as, you know, Adrian Broner being the next guy out there, um, at least not at welterweight, because he can't carry welterweight. So what you're going to have left is you're going to have Porter, you're going to have Thurman, you're going to have Kel Brook, and then you're going to have Danny Garcia moving up. So you're going to have those four. So out of those four, who's it going to be? You know, um, I don't think Danny Garcia's ready to move up. Well, Danny Garcia might not be ready. He might not, but my thing is, who else does he have left at 140 that he could fight? Provodnikov? They really can't fight because they're in, you know, they're two different uh, promotional companies, so they really can't fight each other. So there isn't that much left for, you know, for uh, Danny Garcia to fight at 140. So there's no other choice for him but to move up unless if he's going to, unless if, um, you know, Broner ends up winning this fight, stays at 140, and then fights Garcia at 140. You know, that's, that's the only other thing I could pretty much figure out out there as far as, you know, who Danny Garcia can fight. Because he will not fight Matisse again. Because if he fights Matisse again, he'll, he'll either he'll lose or it'll be like one of his last matches that he has for his career. You know, yeah. so he can't fight Matisse yeah. again. So there isn't that much out there that's left, you know. Not much left for Danny Garcia, but, the, you know, but to either move up or face Adrian Broner later on this year. And I think that, and like I said, if Broner wins against Porter, and if uh, Floyd Mayweather says that he wants to put a, a, a real good card together in September, then that would be one fight that would kind of build up that oh, yeah. kind of type of card. That, that could do you it. Know. That fight could do it. Dan, Danny Garcia versus, just have Danny Garcia versus Adrian Broner. At 140, if you know you have, um, like I said, you got your boy um, Keith Thurman that's fighting now. Uh, he could still he could he could see if he could fight in two months. Let's say ask him if he wants to fight in two months. He could do that. See if he could fight. You know, if Amir Khan could get off his you know little Ramadan type thing, he could get off of that. Then you have him or have him fight Kell Brook. You know, so if you really want to stack that card in September, then those are the type of fights that you would really want to put together to to make that happen. You know, uh, I'm trying to see like what else is out there as far as like in the near future, um, as far as like possible matchups goes. Um, last week we talked about you know Canelo um, and his little thing that he had with. Uh, that he had against um oh jeez when he was able to win that fight Houston um 
he's there at he's there at one fifty four. But that fight itself wasn't even at one fifty four because he can't make weights. So he doesn't. So it's, it's it's almost like he doesn't have a choice either, but to move up to middleweight. And the thing is, is that if he moves up to middleweight, you know, he's gonna have to either end up seeing if he could fight Golovkin or fight those other guys that have those belts at middleweight. Yeah. He's not gonna move up. They're gonna keep having a fight at a catch weight. They're not gonna move him up until they don't feel like there's a lot of threat there. I mean, if you look at Canelo, Canelo's Oscar all over again. Yep. Yep. So I, I think Paulie he's is. more of a hate job than Oscar. I mean, Oscar could really fight better. Yeah, Oscar, Oscar could have fight a little bit better. But the reason why I say that is neither one of them like fighting an elusive guy, okay? I look at the what Oscar fought for now. It's been the out with the old and with the new, right? Well, yeah, the I hell. mean, it was the time for Pinnell. I mean, his time was up, but, uh, yeah, he was robbed. But right, was just, okay. As far as boxing, his time was up. But if you look at he never fought any elusive fighters after that. You know, I mean. Oh, well, fought, that's why. Right. And, look, he fought Shane, but that's just because they knew each other. And Shane... They, they, they both. You got one from Vermont and one from East LA. They sparred so much, you know, preparing each other for fights, and even when they were kids, right? So yeah. I guess he felt that Shane wasn't gonna try to hurt him. But then you watch him against Trinidad, a guy that can punch a little bit. To me, I still think that I still think Oscar won that fight. He gave but it away, man. He gave it away. Exactly. Right. He did. He gave it away. But. He's gonna protect Canelo the same way. They got their base. They they are happy with their base. Their base so, is. So uh, Canelo ain't fighting Larry again. Is what you're saying? No, he'll never fight him again. You'll never yeah. see him against Lara. You never listen. He saved Mayweather now. He'll never fight Mayweather again. Oscar won't allow it. He won't allow it. That'll never happen. Yeah, I'm I'm, yeah, I'm trying to I'm trying to look to see if um they have I'm trying to see who the Charlo brothers are under because you have the Charlo brothers that are out there um that are contenders and those are the guys that are that are at um you know over at middleweight. Those young cats over there, um, the Charlo brothers. But at Super Welterweight, you still have Andrade that's out there. Um, no, actually, Charlo. Yeah, the Charlo brothers are at, um, you know, at one fifty-four. And sooner or later, sooner you know this one, Greg. Sooner or later, J Rock is going to be out there contending for a title. You know, it's only a matter of time before they do that with uh, J Rock. Yeah, that's true. I go along with that. And see, now, he may he may try somebody like J-Rock. He'll fight him because he feel like J-Rock won't be able to take his power. 
you know, and and J Rock is more of a boxer puncher. He's not the most elusive fighter. You know, he's a boxer puncher. Mm-hmm. But uh, so. I don't know. I mean, he's ready to go to 160. They're not going to send him. Exactly. And, and, and so, so with him, it's almost like pointless because they don't want to put him at 160, but he can't really be at 154 because he doesn't. He's not able to make weight anymore. So it's like, what's the point? You know. So he's just basically caught that he's basically stuck there. That's just and that's just it. He's just stuck there. He's he's. He's he's the biggest draw for Golden Boy, but he's not really, you know, doing anything as far as like winning belts or nothing like that, because he can't really fight for him since he doesn't make weight. So now it's like, what what does he do? They don't want to put him. They don't want to have him against uh, Miguel Cotto, uh, and then Oscar openly said that he would wait two years to for him, for Canelo to fight Golovkin. So it's almost like up in the air with that one. Well, that's, that's a smart move by uh, De La Hoya for holding him two years before he actually fights uh, Golovkin. Yeah, I mean, it's very smart. I mean, he basically just want to beat the name, not the body. You know what I'm saying? I yeah. Mean, right. This Triple G is 35 years old, man. I mean, come on. I mean, but you got to look. To me, they're not really trying to trying to grow Cotto's brand. They are happy with the pro Mexican fan base. That's enough to get them yeah. over the hump. Because if they really were, the boy would be able to speak English by now. All his interviews would be in English. You're right, but, man. You're right. But they really yeah. don't care. They they happy with the base that they got, and they're gonna keep slow walking him and put him in the pro Mexican type fight. That's somebody that's going to stand right in front of them where they can watch him get tagged. Yeah. Yeah. They they aren't going to, um, yeah, they won't put them, like you said, they won't put them in there against the Lauras, against the Andrade, against the Charlos, you know, or, or even Trout. They wouldn't even, they probably wouldn't even put them against Trout again, even in this stage. Um, now, I'm trying to see what what what's up with K9. Um, well, K9 is going to be fighting uh, Jamal Charlo on July 25th. Um, well, he's scheduled to fight Jamal Charlo on July 25th. So we're going to see if uh, one of those Charlo brothers is going to be able to win win a win a Super Bowlsway championship. But those two, the Charlo brothers, are two good contenders out there. In that in that weight class, you know that people haven't really kept an eye on as of yet. But if if uh, Jamal here beats K9, then that'll lead to something a little bit more as far as like them being amongst the top in that division. So that's gonna be something to look out for. Um, let me see if I could do this uh, last little segment here. Um, I'm probably just going to see if I can do a monthly. I'll just start it for this month, a pound-for-pound pound list, my own pound-for-pound pound list, top 10. 
Um, I'm gonna just do it. I'm gonna do it backwards. I'm gonna do it from ten to one. Um, number ten, I got Vladimir Klitschko. Number nine, I got Janari Golovkin. Number eight, I got Erislan De Lara. Number seven, I have Dick Walters. Uh, number six, I have Sergey Kovalev. Um, at number five, I have Roman Gonzalez. Uh, number four, I have Paul uh, Frost. Hold on a minute. Actually, let me redo that. Let me redo that. I'm gonna have um. I'm gonna have Gonzalez at number five, Kovalev at number four, Terrence Crawford at number three, Guillermo Rigondeaux at number two, and Floyd Mayweather at number one. So so those are so those are the guys that are in my list at the top at the top ten on the top ten. Um, is there anybody that I kind of omitted that y'all wanted to y'all wanted to add in as far as like the top ten? Do you have Pacquiao in your top ten? Nah, I don't have Pacquiao on my top ten. Nah, nah, nah. I don't. I mean, I don't. Pacquiao's on a top ten fighter. Come on, JB. Nah, I, I, I don't. I don't. My, my thing is. I mean, my thing is that. That's why I put. Well, well, my thing is from from recent from the recent fights. That's why I kind of like put Golovkin along amongst the bottom ten of my top ten pound for pound because it's like who is he really beating? So okay. if you think of, hey, if you think of man can beat Golovkin. We're not gonna talk about um, the recent events, right? We gotta look at what he's done, right? Yeah, I mean, I'm not a Pacquiao uh, fan, but the man got a nice body of work. Look, right, thank you, bro. Listen, and, and what he's done, right, man, by all means, he's top ten. He's top ten. I mean, like, just by right his now? fights with Barrera, you know, in, in those earlier fights. I mean, just off that. I mean, okay, look. Well, that's the thing. If, you, if, 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 you look if you're going to take that res- resume, the overall resume, then, yeah, I understand that. But I mean, and, and then, my, and then and, listen. I mean, you 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 basing his top ten on basis that's his last fight. You know what I'm saying? Because if if you go beyond his last fight, I mean, he won three before that. You know what I'm saying? I mean, he's top ten. I don't care how you cut it up. You know what I mean? As long as he's an active fighter, he's top ten. I mean, just looking at where he's at in his career. Mm-hmm. And well, if you if I put him in, okay, if I'm able to put him in, then I would take Laura out if I put Pacquiao in. But and the reason why I say that is because, like, the thing about most of the guys that I have on this list is number one, they're champions. And number two, they're mo- they're they're like almost consensus the best in their division or their weight class that they're in. So when you have somebody like Rigando or Crawford or Kovalev or Walters 
or Golovkin. Those those guys are like the best in their division. And it, and it isn't in in some cases it isn't even close. You know, so that's the thing with that. With Pacquiao, yeah, he may be like you know number two at welterweight right now. But the guys that he like recently, other than Bradley, the 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 one the the fight that I gave him credit for like recently is Timothy Bradley. The second fight against Timothy Bradley, and of course the first one was kind of, you know, a controversial. Yeah, one. yeah. yeah. But the fights against Brandon Rios and Chris Algieri, no, I, I can't give him passes for that. No, I understand what you're going at. For those. Because those guys are, they basically came up from 140. Algieri's fight, the previous fight that Algieri had, he he, he basically got a gift decision over Provodnikov. So it's like, okay. You you you're, you're fighting Chris Algieri and, and Macau. Come on, man. And Brandy Rios was basically a punching bag. You know. So that was my thing on that. Who's got that feedback? I don't know. Hold on a minute. Have a little feedback here. Yeah, uh, Greg, that that was you with the little feedback there. Um, I don't know if you're outside or something like that, but I think that's um, something on your phone right there. But yeah, like I was saying, um, Brandon Rios when he when Pacquiao fought Brandon Rios, he was basically a puncher bag, sitting there a puncher bag for uh, you know Manny Pacquiao. So I, I didn't really give him that much credit for that one. So that's why I didn't really, you know, put him around to the top ten as far as like the recent fight. So. I'm kind of like going off of, you know, what what these fighters have done from the beginning of 2013 into now. And that's how I kind of like pretty much put up my top 10. It's kind of going from 2013 up to this point. What have these fighters done from 2013 to now? And that's how I rated it, you know, for my first top 10. So that's how I, so that's how I put it. But, I mean, if you want... If, if Pacquiao could be in top ten, then I, I would place it, I would place Lara, you know, over, you know, I put him over there over Lara, right now as of this moment. So is it if it, is there like anyone else out there um, that you would say is like probably top five or, you know, should be amongst the top five like um this guy, the uh, guy that recently fought Roman Gonzalez, did uh, any of y'all catch his fight that he had recently? I hadn't seen. Yeah, he's a uh, he's a flyweight. He's a flyweight uh, WBC uh, flyweight champion, and he's also uh, Ring Magazine basically uh, puts him as their champion as well. So um, he's basically the best at at flyweight, and he could probably go up a couple of divisions. Um, you know, not just be there flyweight, but also uh, be there super flyweight or bantamweight, and kind of like be able to hold his own on those two divisions as well. So he he might be able to, you know, do a little damage in those two divisions there. Uh, so that's why they kind of like put him as one of the best pound for pound fighters out there. 
Um, hey, Greg, is there anything else as far as like your pound for pound guys that you would put up there? Nah, everything else sounds about right. Okay. Um, yeah, that's on them, man. I kind of, kind of like put those guys as far as like my list. I'll probably, I'll probably like um, I'll probably, you know, expound on it a little bit more on the website, uh, theboxingsource.net. I'll probably just put the list out there and. And um, see what you know. Show them the notable wins and give the criteria, and whatnot. And you know, people can comment and see if you would agree or disagree with the list, and see what you would say on it. And um, and then we could have a little back and forth banter on it. Uh, with that being said, uh, what I'll do is I'll uh, pretty much close out the show. Um, if you have any you know parting shots or whatnot or anything as far as like commenting for boxing. Uh, for the next week or so, um, if you want to, you could just uh, chime in. If you got something to say, right, right quick, eight four three. Oh man, I enjoyed the show, man. All right, thanks. All right, thanks on that. Yeah, Greg, I'll put you uh, back on the line there, right quick. Uh, you got any uh, closing things to say? Uh, closing. Only closing thing I got to say. Any kids that's watching, that's trying to fight, and they watch the rail, the rail lost that fight because he wasn't smart enough to, to hold his right hand up. The left hook oh. beats the rail in that fight. That that looping left beats the rail. Yep. Just because him, yeah. Chris Bird, and his father, they wasn't smart enough to tell him, hold your hands up. It was that simple. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's something that that should be that's something that should be pretty basic as far as like boxing is concerned. As long as you keep your right. keep your hands up, keep your guard up, you would you would be able to at least if you can't block that left hook, you can at least you know kind of cushion that hook from actually hitting you flush on the chin, and that's what right. basically I mean, messed them up right there. That, that that's boxing one on one. I mean, my thing is, if he was trying, he wasn't even in a position where he could catch and shoot. I mean, the only state that he was in was to get hit. I mean, when, when the more and more I watched that fight and that second round, it's like, damn, it's nothing but that old looping left. He should have never lost that fight. One punch beat him in that fight. <laughs> yep, One punch. Yep, he did. And, and from that shot in that second round, he was afraid of that shot for the rest of the fight. Yeah, man. Basically. And he just basically got beat by that one punch. And that... that that, that's the thing that messed him up from the second round on on up. So we had to play catch up from that, man. So um, hopefully we'll be able to learn from that if the trainer, you know, actually just tells him that <laughs> all you had to do was just watch for that hook. As that song say, watch for the hook. 
And right. if he would have able to do that, he would have won that fight. And one thing about Chris Bird, we all know one thing Chris Bird could do was keep his hands up. He kept his hands up. Yeah. Well. Yeah. The yeah, rail yeah. rather look good with style mm-hmm. instead of getting the job done. Because the best mm-hmm. boxer lost that fight. All right, the best boxer was the rail, but the best yeah, puncher was, was, was the gear. He was the best puncher. He was the best puncher. And he was the one that, you know, kind of, Fought the way, fought the way that you know his his trainers wanted him to fight, you know. Uh, even though, you know, Darrell's trainers really didn't teach him that much. That was kind of the gist of it. Is that you know DeGale was able to follow his fight plan that he basically had for most of the fight, and he was able to use that to hold on to win. So that's basically just that right there, man. That's correct. But on that, yep. So on that note, I'll uh, be closing the show. We will be back next week, same time, Sunday night, 7.30 p.m. Remember, the point of boxing is to hit and not get hit, not to stand and trade. So I'll see y'all next week.